You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good Thursday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. John Paul's taking calls at 0818 103 103. Texts and WhatsApps at 0862 103 103. Now, a major cleanup operation is, of course, underway in towns and villages in East Cork and in West Waterford. They were the areas worst hit by the flooding during Storm Babette yesterday. One Middleton resident spoke of the horror at finding the entire contents of her living room, including the couch, floating around at shoulder height water after what she described as the worst flooding that the town has ever seen. Fianna Fáil councillor Anne-Maria Hearn is a native of Middleton and uh, she joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Anne-Marie. Good morning, Patricia. Would, How are you? Oh, I'm very well. Would you agree that the town, you, you were born and raised in Middleton, would you agree that the town has never witnessed anything like what was witnessed yesterday? Oh, absolutely. This is the worst atrocity that has ever faced the town. Um, We've had flooding before. We've had power outages. We've had storm damage. Um, We've never, ever, ever experienced this level of just an atrocity within the town of Middleton and the environs of Middleton. So all the local um, towns and villages outside of Middleton have been impacted as well. So the East Cork area... I could safely say, has never experienced this. How quickly did it all start, Anne-Marie, and how quickly did it start to flood? Within minutes, Patricia. So it started with a bit of heavy rainfall, surface flooding, um, which would be expected in an orange storm. But it escalated in a matter of minutes um, where people were unable to protect their homes, protect their businesses, put safety measures in place. This just, it's as if floodgates opened and it just poured from both sides of the town, rural areas. It it just flooded the town. The impact was within minutes. And I think many people would have seen the video footage that went up online yesterday and was on uh, the TV uh, yesterday evening. I mean, the main street looked like it was a river. It was. So I I was there myself. I left I, my own businesses in the town of Middleton and was severely flooded um, yesterday. And up to 10 o'clock last night, I was still there trying to help and assist and see if we could do anything. Um, and it was still underwater at 10 o'clock last night. Um, when I was there about four o'clock yesterday, it was just flowing and it was waist high. There was no salvaging anything anything in the town of Middleton from one end to the other. Um, it just, I've never, ever seen it before in my life. It was as if just a river just flowing down the main street and nothing was stopping it. And have you any understanding this morning, Amory, of why and how it happened? No, we don't. So there are questions that we put forward last night. We held, um, the, our chief executive was, very prompt in holding a meeting with us and there are questions that we did put forward. We need to know the the flooding came from the north which was extremely unusual for Middleton. Why it has come from the north um, and what is going to be put in place to ensure this doesn't happen again because we're coming into the time of year where we're going to have storm after storm after storm. This should have been a red alert yesterday. The minute that the, the flooding started 
it should have been escalated to allow schools to close, businesses to close, sports facilities to close, and measures be put in place for their safeguarding. And that didn't happen, so questions have to be raised on that. I also, the Minister for the OPW is coming to Middleton today with the Taoiseach, and I have serious questions as to why back in 2015 businesses and homes were flooded in Middleton, and in 2023 we had an even worse atrocity with flooding, and no measures or funding or any interim works have been done by the OPW um, or the Minister to stop this from happening to the town of Middleton again. And it was eight years ago that you reckoned it wasn't as bad, but it was a very bad flood in 2015. Oh, a very bad flood in 2015. And we thought that would have been the worst we ever saw. And we were assured at that time by the government that funding would be in place and it would be done within five years. And you were saying nothing's been done? Absolutely nothing. They've put plan on top of plan on top of plan before us and then said, we've had objections to this plan, so we can't go ahead with that. We need this report and that report. Unfortunately, I know for a lot of the businesses and the, and the residents of the area, and myself included, that's not good enough anymore. Not and of course, for, for those businesses, and I don't know if, if you're included in this, Amory, for those businesses that flooded in 2015, I take it they don't have flood insurance? No. So no business in the town of Middleton has actually had any flood insurance today. Uh. And I will be calling on the government to match the funding that's going overseas to be made immediately available to the businesses and to the residents of the town of Middleton and the environs to make right their homes and businesses because we're coming into the time of year where they need their businesses need to be open, they need to be working. We're coming to Christmas. These are, these are the times of the year for this business to, to thrive. So I'd be asking these funds be made available. When you say the money goes over going overseas, is that the 13 million that was announced yesterday for Palestine? Well, no, we, we're very good to give funding yeah. overseas when people are in trouble. We're in trouble ourselves here in Middleton today and we need immediate funding to be made available by the government. Okay. And 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 the community hospital flooded. Now, as far as I know, they didn't, there was talks of evacuation, but they've just moved them to a different part of the building. I mean, they're elderly, vulnerable people. It must have been very frightening for them yesterday. It was. Look, it was frightening for everyone. There was toddlers stuck in creches and there was elderly people stuck in their homes. Patricia, this affected absolutely everybody in East Cork. Every, nobody was left untouched by yesterday's events. Everybody has been affected um, and severely affected in a lot of ways. Homes, businesses, sports hubs, resource centres, community centres. We've, we've been left devastated by yeah. what happened yesterday. All right, and of course, you saw huge acts of kindness and people stepping up to the mark. I heard a lovely story from uh, Skull Bernadette, which is a special needs school uh, in the area where the deputy principal ended up taking three of the students home in a minibus. Some of them didn't get home until 8 o'clock last night, but that's going above and beyond. And we must also, Amory, before I let you go, call out the council staff, the work that those yep. guys uh, were doing over the last 24 hours, and even the day before, they did their best to try to prepare. Absolutely. Look, there were some of the council, and I'm not just going to limit it to council staff. You had the fire brigade, the Gardaí, the civil defence. You had the lifeboats. Middleton and East Cork wouldn't be where it is today without their work yesterday. It's just, they did Trojan work. It, it's, you can't say 
enough words yeah. to just commit and, what and they do. And there was no loss of life, uh, thankfully. We'll, we'll repair buildings and items yeah. can be purchased and no loss of life and that was down to all of the emergency services and the work they did. Okay, uh, listen Anne-Marie, I, I, I appreciate you taking time out because I, I know what a stressful day it is for you. Have you got in to assess your own business yet? I haven't, no, no. I'm, I'm just leaving there now. Okay, alright, well we appreciate you so taking, uh, taking the call. Mind yourself. Thanks Anne-Marie. Thank um, you. Good morning, good morning. That is uh, Fianna Fáil councillor in Middleton, uh, Anne-Marie Ahern. Let me go from uh, Middleton to uh, the Castle Martyr Ladies Bridge area in East Cork where Liz uh, Maddock is a local resident. Good morning to you, uh, Liz. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, uh, can you morning. Can you describe what it was like yesterday for the area you're in? Yes, uh, well, early yesterday morning there was um, McGeeley uh, past and present group had put up a, a call out. There was an estate there in McGeeley. By the way, they're all brand new houses and... Um, they were trying to open the drains and clear the drains so the water would go down the drains. Um, and they were crying out for sandbags. And I got on Neil Penderville and asked for tractors um, to go and get the sandbags. I rang Yall and Yall said the only way we were getting sandbags was to go to Killer Council Yard. So, But they couldn't. Nobody. It was impossible. Nobody could drive to Killer Council Yard to get sandbags. So I put a call out for tractors. Unfortunately, you know, the day went on, Patricia, and that didn't happen. And I know that there's a massive amount of houses there that eventually the water is in their houses and their homes are destroyed. And there, was, an, and they, and um, there was nothing they could do. There was, there was nothing, nothing we could do. They, there was no help do. we could get. And it was late in the afternoon before I know, I think it was Mr. Hennessy went out there with his tractor and a few locals tried to do the best they could. But that is a new housing estate. So, you know, and I was listening to Anne-Marie there and I, and I agree with everything that she's saying. You know, we don't have a pre-plan. This is the problem. We don't have a pre-plan. You know, these small villages should have their own sandbags. We shouldn't be asking people to drive to Yall or drive to Killer to get sandbags. You know, yeah, and the pro- and the problem yesterday was because, as Amory outlined, that it, it seemed to be the entire area of East yeah. Cork, so you couldn't even get from one town to, to another town to another no. village. I mean, it, like every road uh, was blocked was was yeah. blocked off. And and I there mean, was years a- ago the rivers used to be cleaned. You know, uh, the drains used to be. We don't have that anymore, and it's kind of left. All the rescue teams yesterday did a wonderful job, but they were late in coming. They didn't come till the afternoon, and a lot of the damage was done by then. And what they were doing was rescuing. They were rescuing people. They were rescuing children. They were rescuing elderly people, and they did a fantastic job, the civil defense, the army. But my point is, Patricia, we should have been in a red zone, and this should happen. We should have been pre-ready for this for these kind of storms and when yeah. are we going to get there this and if is, a red alert guess. if a red alert yes. had been issued they could yes. have preempted it and had the sandbags ready you're also saying that drains need to be yes, properly cleared yes I mean on my own estate my next door neighbour she's an elderly lady she rang me late last night and she has a drain outside her house that's full of soil the drains on my estate were left full of soil when the developers left you know and I managed to um, open mine and and get it cleared a little bit but I couldn't open her a drain yesterday at all and she was a flood of water outside the gate and she started to panic last night that it would come up the drive into the house <laughs> it's clear this morning I've just had a look but I must here's the thing about pre a pre-plan I must try and get somebody to come in and clear that drain now 
for for maybe another time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because, because there will be there will be more yes. heavy rain for sure. Yeah. All right, Liz. Um, but yeah. listen, stay safe. And and what's the situation today? There's still flooding in I in think, that area. Uh, Castlemar itself. We we were uh, impassable late last night, and I think there's diversions in place this morning. So please check. Um, the Facebook and the, the guards, take the guards' advice. If they're doing diversions and everything, take it. Because if you're driving through estates of houses that's flooded with big vehicles, you're only making it worse. You're, you're driving there at the, the, the water, water back in. into their you houses. Are, you understand? are, you are. Listen, good advice. Liz, mind yourself yeah. and stay dry. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. Thanks for joining okay. us. That's uh, Liz Maddock, who lives near uh, Castle Martyr. And um, ironically, an engineering uh, company working on a multi-million euro flood defence project helped to prevent even more damage uh, in the town of Glanmire as the flood waters were threatening to spill downhill into the town centre. It was Sorensen Engineering. They were working, they are working on the scheme and it seems that when the water levels slowly started to rise, the engineers dug a passage through the old Cork Dublin Road beside a bridge and that allowed some of the water to flow through that and stopped an overflow. So so well done to everybody involved in Sorensen's uh, engineering. Let's get an update from that area, the area um, Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy Padraig O'Sullivan uh, joins me. Good morning to you, uh, Padraig. Morning, Patricia. Now, what's what's the situation like in your area this morning? Well, I suppose, look, immediately, in the immediate aftermath of it, it's just, I suppose, people are disconsolate, you know, they're crestfallen. You know, for a lot of people, this is their second and third time being flooded. Um, you mentioned the, the crew in Sorensen's there, you know, they did excellent work to divert water, as you said, from Churchill from the from the church in Glanmire down across the back of Glanmire GA and into the river again. So they did an excellent job and I've no doubt they saved a number of people's houses from being flooded as well. So um look everybody that I've been listening to that right across all radio stations this morning has been paying tribute to all local authorities and emergency services. So like that that's unquestionably the case in Glanmire as well. They were brilliant all day and night. So has, so people has just, the flooding put, subsided? Yeah, well, look, water levels are very, very high still and a number of roads are still closed and impassable. Okay. Now, a couple are reopening. There was one there in Dunkettland that has reopened and um, along the old N25 to Middleton as well. Uh, that road has reopened down towards Glountown, Claharlog area, Kilcoleisha. So, um, slowly but surely, look, water levels are, 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 are receding and, you know, roads are being opened. But it is just clean up at this stage and... Like you're, we're on about, and listening to lots of stories about the good nature of people, and you know, I was just off the phone to a local businessman, uh, a local builder, who's providing skips for, you know, certain housing estate in Glenmire that was affected, um, to help people with the clean up, you know. Okay, and so, as you, as you mentioned, the a number of people in in Glenmire have had floods before. I think 2015 was the the, the last one, uh, bad one in the area. So that means that they don't have flood insurance. Yeah, we had in 15 and 12, and I suppose we, we, we hear a lot of people talk about one in a hundred year events, but in the case of Glenmire, I would say it's three in 12 year events now. And um, I suppose the most galling thing for us is we finally got our flood prevention scheme underway earlier this year. Um, so Sarenson, as you mentioned earlier, have been working there for a number of months on you know a couple of culverts down by the Hazelwood area. Um, but unfortunately, you know, that's a t- probably a two year work schedule that they have. Um, so they were only a couple of months into it. So it's particularly galling for people, as I said, that were flooded in 2012 and 15, and now again in, in 23. Um, it's something I raised with Michal Martin, actually, and, and Michael McGrath last night, that particularly in areas where flood prevention schemes are in place, like Mallow, as mentioned earlier, like Mallow um, was relatively 
unscathed last night. You know, the, 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 there was a bit of flooding on roads and stuff, but you know, for la- to a large extent, you know, it was you know relatively um, well protected. Well, it has a very like effective that. flood protection scheme in place, as does for Moy. Yeah, and I suppose the point to go back to insurance is, you know, even people living around those now functioning and working uh, flood prevention schemes are still very unlikely to get flood insurance because of the historical and, you know, the legacy of flooding that they would have experienced for many, many years. So it's something I think that government is going to have to get to grasp with that, um, you know, some type of insurance is going to be have to be provided for people, particularly in areas where flood prevention schemes are functioning. Now OK, now. and in the meantime, for those affected yesterday, the humanitarian assistance uh, scheme is uh, available. Now, please tell me there's not a lot of red tape involved in that for, for families uh, who are no, going to need that financial help. That, that scheme is always there, OK, so that, that scheme is open. My argument, Patricia, about that scheme is it's nearly 40 years old. OK. And I, w- I would say that worked that would it need to be undertaken 10, 20, 30 years ago, never mind today. You know, they're far different in terms of cost, and we can speak about inflation and rising costs in construction, you know, for the last couple of years, they're well documented. So what I would be asking for now, and what I spoke to Michal, Martin and Michael McGrath last night about was the need for an enhanced scheme. And, you know, like it's fine to, you know, give a few thousand here and there, but, you know, there's going to be people with major infrastructural damage and in many cases don't have insurance because these are, again, repeated offenders, would say, for flooding. So, like, we're going to have to have some enhanced scheme, and that's what I'll be arguing for. Um, I'm actually bringing Minister McGrath down to meet people in Glenmire later today and to meet, um, you know, people like SARS, GA, who, you know, experienced, you know, a lot of damage. They were well. badly damaged, yeah. 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 So, uh, so he's coming. He's coming this later afternoon. this morning. It's this afternoon. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, and he'll get to see it at first hand uh, the damage. Okay. Listen, uh, Podrick, we leave it there. Thank you for that, and uh, thank thanks you, uh, for joining us. Hi, Patricia says the listener watching with great sadness and disbelief the desperate flooding that occurred in parts of Cork yesterday, particularly Middleton and Killa areas. It makes me question why this wasn't flagged by Met Aaron as a red warning. I was in Dublin yesterday. Little or no rain fell there. Once Dublin is not affected by weather, forget the rest of the country. Surely Met Aaron has a responsibility to its citizens. They should bear that in mind. Dublin isn't Ireland. And well, in fairness, they did put the orange weather warning in uh, place. Um, but yeah, many people are saying it should have been a red one for Cork. And as we continue to discuss the fallout from the devastating floods that occurred in East Cork uh, yesterday, uh, we heard yesterday that uh, pupils and staff had to be evacuated from the Educate Together National School in uh, Middleton. Uh, the principal uh, Rodery Myers uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Rodery. Good morning. How are you? I'm, I'm well, and you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Uh, firstly, everyone is OK. That's the most important thing, I suppose. That is the most important thing. Everybody is safe um, from staff and pupils' perspective. Um, sadly, um, a number of our families not so well because their houses were flooded yesterday. Oh, goodness, yeah, the children would have been yeah. going home to devastating scenes. OK, take me back to yesterday, the day you know, you opened as normal. And how quickly did you start to realise we're in a, a bit of trouble here? Um, I suppose it was close to lunchtime. Um, we would have had a few phone calls from parents that they were coming to collect their children um, early due to, I suppose, their local conditions or their road conditions that might have become impassable later. So... Um, that was fine. We then decided, you know what, we, we don't actually know what a lot of the local conditions are like. Um, therefore, we, we communicated with all our families that if it's safe to do so, 
um, there's an option there for families to come and collect their children um, because, again, we didn't know what the rest of the day was going to be. Um, and I suppose within an hour of that going out, um, the homes opposite the school started to flood. So the Onikara River at that stage had burst its banks. Um, the water was pouring into the houses. So there's a row of houses directly opposite us, and the road became a river. The housing estates then behind those houses, again, the other side of the river, there's a number of housing estates down the road outside the school. Uh, the basically the river was flowing through their homes and out onto the road. Um, and at that stage, well, just as parents are starting to, to come and to collect, we decided, no, we're going to call. We're going to call this. We're going to try and close. We knew that the priority was to ensure that everybody remained safe. So children were in their classrooms with their with the wonderful staff members. Um, I would say being entertained, being supervised, trying to keep things as normal as possible as parents came to the door. We would go to different classes to collect different children. Some families um, or parents would arrive to collect multiple children because <laughs> it was just impassable to get yeah. to certain areas. And, and was it true that the parents couldn't get right up to the school? They had to park and then walk in? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah 100%. So there is... Um, the, the, so. We're north side of of the town, um, so to the north of us, it's I suppose it's it's more of the hinterlands of Middleton. So you have Dungorny and Lisgool, Liamlar, and so on. And a lot of those roads were impassable. Even the back road to Carrigtool was impassable. Even as early as yesterday morning, there was a lot of water on that. And then south of us, then there's a main main, uh, main junction coming from what we call it, maybe the Broomfield Interchange, where I come from, Broomfield Village. Um, that became impassable. So it was uh, knee-deep, and then it became waist-deep. So cars were abandoned, um, as far as we're aware. Even lorries and some tractors struggled um, at some stage to get through. So we did have families, uh, parents arrive at the school, uh, waist-down soaked, because they had to wade through water, to collect the children. That's um, just shocking. Yeah. And of course, your school, uh, Robert, you'd have quite a large catchment area for we the do, educate together. Do. Yeah, yeah so we, um, the people yeah, were we coming have, from yeah. uh, from neighbouring villages and towns yeah. that were also flooding. Yes, exactly. So, you know, it was, I suppose, it, it, everything happened so, so quickly, hard to gauge what was happening in other areas in East Cork, yet you knew from just even trying to access um, the school to collect a child safely was challenging. Um, and I suppose ultimately the pri- our priority is just make sure everybody is, is safe and well. So we, we, we eventually locked the school at uh, around 10 past 6 last night because the, the power went then at, at around 5 o'clock. But at that stage, we, we had a small handful of children left to be collected and they were collected... Um, but it, it 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 was a day that so there again, was children still in the school up to that point. Parents there just was. Yeah. Oh my goodness! So you're closed yeah. today, obviously. We're um, closed. We're closed today. Yeah. Your um, has there been much damage done? Um, to the town, absolutely. But you, um, the school itself. The school itself is absolutely fine. Is um, it we're, great? We're, we're, great. We're, we're grateful, but at the end of the day, the school is only a small part of um, a larger community. It's the homes and businesses that have been very, very badly damaged. Um, 
and it was, I suppose, tenfold worse than what happened in 2014 here in Middleton. So it was horrendous. Yeah, we're hearing that from from everyone. Listen, stay safe. Um, Thank you so much. Rodri, and thank you for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, Good morning to you. That is the principal of Middleton Educate Together uh, School, Rodri Myers, where uh, some children actually yesterday, there was a tractor and trailer went in to try to uh, evacuate them. Let me go uh, and stay in the same area because um, yesterday I saw a, a, a tweet where it was said that uh, some places um, were that Inch Church was like Lake Como. It was completely surrounded by water. Um, sorry, John Paul, I've lost that line. Um, and we're going to go to uh, Father Tim Hazelwood, but his line literally has just uh, dropped out. Um, if you want to keep your calls and comments uh, coming, John Paul's taking calls at 0818. 103103 and you can text our, our WhatsApp to 086 uh, 2103103 it's line 3 I'm going to now my apologies there we just uh, lost it uh, Father Tim Hazelwood uh, joins me Father Tim was it you that just desc- good morning was it you described in church was like Lake Como yesterday totally surrounded by water it was but I've never seen Lake Como only just in photographs okay. but um, uh, like it, I was just reflecting afterwards, like long ago, we hear stories of what happened. Today, we see it because people post, on, you know, they take videos. And so I tried to get to the church yesterday morning, right to turn back. There was, there was one area only a tractor could go through. But then I got this little short video. We put it up on our Facebook page from the bridge. And it, the church was totally surrounded. The community centre in Inch was totally surrounded. And the water was just running through and through houses just opposite uh, the church. The church has been destroyed. Uh, is it? Oh, goodness. Did you get in this morning? We got in last night and um, it was just there, three or four feet of water got in. And we put up some barriers to try and stop it. But it, even some of the seats had been knocked over with the, the strength of, of the water that was there. And that the road outside of the church has been lifted. The actual tarm academy has been taken up. So it's like a bomb scene. My God. My God. Have you insurance on that church? Well, I, I, I was I was on to the insurance company there now and they're sending a, a last adjuster down to have a look. So please God, we will whether we will in the future. That's the like problem. It, this is that the is... problem is this yeah. seems to be uh, the new reality. So do we put back the same like what? What do you do? What do you do? You know, if it's going to be happening again and again, you'll get no insurance. And you were in, you were in Killa. Killa flooded really badly yesterday as well. Shocking, shocking. And uh, like, what was kind of weird about it as well is that we didn't travel out much because we were afraid. But I went down to the village just across the way and... The Thatch, everybody knows the Thatch and Killer was completely flooded. But the river, the sewer, which is the river, comes down through the wood, actually flowed through the street, down through all the main street, all the shops, uh, the houses, the water just came in. Uh, and I don't think it's ever happened before. 
Yeah, I, I heard the uh, the owner of uh, that gorgeous pub, uh, the Thatch, Debbie Walsh, uh, saying mm. the water was unstoppable. She said it, it like it literally had nowhere to go. She said it was sweeping across the beer garden, into the bar, into the kitchen, into the store. Yeah. It had no it had nowhere to go. And like we're hearing from certainly people in, in Middleton, and I'm assuming it's the same for Killa and obviously for Inch with the church as well, mm. people have never seen floods like this before. It, it, I think that's last speaker that spoke about 2014 it was like it but this was much worse much worse and it was this, this, the ferocity of it and, and how quick you know it came like it, it, it I, like we have it's going to be a, it was an orange warning and so that meant it's going to be a good bit of rain but my god it was like um, it was like an avalanche of water and it's mucky isn't it it's destroyed mucky. It. Yeah, yeah, it's the whole mucky place. water I don't have wellies, but by God, do I need them. Even walking around the church, in the church, like the, the, the soil. And in, um, in front of the church, there's a, a kind of a wide expanse of the road. And all debris from both sides, has there's a, there's a huge mound of debris. And a local farmer came and put it into one heap. But all of that came down from the side hills. And the road, we, we call it the park road has been lifted completely. And I'm, I think you saw, everyone saw the picture of the car that was gone into a, yeah. a slug hole. Yeah, yeah. That was over and that road, that road was well, destroyed. It, that's, yeah, that's not, that's not just a patch job. That needs a, a complete... Uh, totally. Load. And that's the fear that the, around, say, the church and that, that subsidence and, you know, that the earth from underneath those uh, the, the paths that are, are covered with tarmacadam, that that's gone. That's the fear as well. Okay, listen, mind yourself and try to stay dry. And I don't know, in the midst of all of that, did you get an opportunity to watch the Father Tony Flannery programme last night? Would you believe I didn't? Oh, okay. Yeah. I did. No, what, I, what, because yeah, okay, we just, turned off the electricity and I had to go up to the church yeah, you can that get, time. And I'll be honest with you, I forgot because yeah. of what was going I know, on. You'll get but it on I the player. You'll get it on the Ah, oh, it was just, it broke my heart. It was brilliant, but it broke my heart. Mm. It, it really did. Okay, listen, Father Tim, okay. you mind yourself and we'll talk Thanks again. Thank you for Bye-bye. that. That is uh, Father Tim Hazelwood, who is the parish priest in uh, Killa, uh, but talked about the devastation at the church in Inch. Now, one of Ireland's climate change experts uh, said yesterday that Met Aaron is damned if they do and damned if they don't. That was after Met Aaron said it would start to issue fewer warnings into the future. There's been a lot of criticism uh, that Met Aaron got it wrong uh, yesterday. Alan O'Reilly of Carlo Weather uh, joins me. Uh, good morning to you, Alan. Good morning, Patricia. Now, Met Aaron are talking about um, what they are saying is warning fatigue and because of that they're going to issue uh, less warnings. Is there warning fatigue out there? I think there probably is, to be fair, Patricia. I think yellow warnings are very common, um, especially in the last year or two when we've had so much rainfall and some windy episodes as well. And yellow warnings in general don't impact people too badly. Um, so I think if, if, if there was less yellow warnings um, and people made them start to pay heed to the, to the warnings that are issued, but I think there's bigger problems than just not issuing as many yellow warnings, to be honest, with the warning system, to be honest, Patricia. Like, I mentioned to you yesterday that from Cork City to Waterford was going to see the biggest amount of rainfall. And unfortunately, after I was on with you, the images not long started to appear of the flooding. Um, like and it's, and in fairness to you, you had been talking about that for a number of days. That wasn't just something you suddenly said yesterday. 
No, no, I, I, I actually posted um, on Tuesday that I expected to see a lot of images uh, appearing of awful flooding. And I said I didn't think people were really prepared or paying heed to what was going to happen. And, and sadly, um, I, I was I was seeing those images that I thought I might see. Um, now, it, look, it's very hard to forecast exactly. But part of the problem here is, is that the warning system is, con- is county wide. Right. I'm I'm calling you're calling me and I'm in the second smallest county in Ireland in Carlow. Right. So a warning system covering Carlow is one thing, but covering Cork. Yeah. I mean, having one color code for the whole of the county of Cork is nonsense. Let's be honest about it. There's no point mind mincing the words now at this stage. If you look at the weather warning system that the UK Met Office show have, there's a red warning for parts of Scotland. They don't pick, you know, a county or a boundary. They, they, they put an area on the map that the weather alert system is showing, this is where it's going to be biggest impacted. Like, if you would ask me yesterday what should have happened, there should have been a red warning for East Cork and West Waterford. Now, and, and a red warning would, would mean that the schools would close. That would be one of the things, wouldn't it? And uh, some services would close. Yeah, the, the main thing is you wouldn't have people out and about yeah. um, in, in it. And you wouldn't have kids going to school and then people getting phone calls to come and try and collect them and having to use tractors and all sorts. You wouldn't have people driving through the floods and spreading water into homes and businesses as much. And and the big one is you would probably have more people looking for sandbags and having them in advance rather than looking for them as the water comes in the door, Patricia, you know? Yeah, and I that's mean, exactly what happened in East Cork. They were screaming, looking for sandbags. And then when they were told to go to the nearest town, the road was flooded, so they couldn't even get to the nearest town to get the sandbags. Yeah, and I think like Owen Sherlock on radio this morning on RT mentioned that it's a county-wide system and that only two stations, you know, in East Cork met the threshold. Well, try tell that to the people in East Cork then that, oh, it wasn't red because the whole of Cork wasn't impacted. I mean, if that's the, the excuse or the reason, which is, you know, that's fine. Well, then let's change the system, lads. Let's say, right, we're going to separate, you know, even the bigger counties, take Cork, we're going to break it up into four. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, even if you don't want to put it into specific areas. But I think people, you know, this day and age have enough common sense that if there's a map comes up and it says there's a red warning from, from Blackpool to Waterford, that anybody that's in that area goes, right, OK, we're obviously going to get the worst of it. And then the people in West Cork go, oh, right, we may keep an eye on that, but we don't have to worry but, as much yeah, as they yeah. do. And it was like the know? people in, 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 in North Cork where I was yesterday. Yes, we had rain, but we didn't have anything like the flooding we were watching coming out of East Cork. OK, has the rain, is it, is, is it gone? Has it passed? It, well, that, that rainfall and the intense rainfall is gone. There's actually some brighter weather coming through, which will give a bit of respite to people that are trying to clean up. But there is showers coming and there will be some more heavy showers even at times that will be hit and miss um, some more rain tonight but it showers again some more rain tomorrow and especially tomorrow night Friday there's just some more rain moving now overall the amounts don't look significant but obviously any rainfall now on top of people trying to clean up is is a problem but at the moment there's no significant rainfall up to Sunday Um, the weekend does look like it's going to see less rainfall still the odd shower but we're looking at showers rather than you know, deluge of rain. And some of the showers could be heavy, but we're not looking at 40, 50, 60 millimetre scenario. There is a risk of more heavy rain on Monday. It's a bit uncertain yet, so people should keep an eye on the forecast. And, like, I'd say to people, you know, there's a lot of information available on the weather, on different weather apps and that. If you put in your location, it'll tell you the amount of rainfall that's coming. But, you know, a lot of locals, people especially, will tell you, if that river's high and that rain's falling, that's going to flood them 
you know, the locals know. And to be fair, Patricia, to yourselves and other local radio stations, the local media are always the best in these scenarios because, unfortunately, if it's not hitting Dublin very often, the media, you know, the wider national media are slow to pick it up. So, fair play to your You're not the first to say that this morning. Listen, you're always a pleasure to speak with and you're always available. You're fantastic. Listen, thank you for that, Alan. Uh, And thanks Thanks for joining us. That is uh, Alan O'Reilly of uh, Carlo Weather. Now, we've been talking a lot this morning about uh, people whose homes have been devastated, businesses have been devastated and, of course, so many cars are underwater as well. So, let's look Look at it for a couple of minutes from an insurance point of view. Jim Flannery is with OMC. He's a claims loss uh, assessor. Good morning to you, Jim. Good morning, Patricia. Jim, deal with the cars first. A lot of photographs today of cars simply underwater. Where, where are you at with your car insurance in a situation like that? Well, if you've got comprehensive cover on your car, um, yes, you're you're entitled to claim for for the market value of of the car, the loss and damage, and, and cars that are completely submerged like that are are write off. Um, the electrics, everything is is gone. Um, so, but if you've only got third party insurance or third party fire and theft on your car, unfortunately, it's your own lookout. It's it's your own loss. And then the the houses and the businesses that are underwater. Now, firstly, those that have insurance. Yeah, those that have insurance um, are entitled to claim. Um, We would be, uh, uh, I suppose, looking or suggesting to people to check that they have got flood cover. And the standard home or business policy does cover uh, flood damage. Um, However, as we all know, insurance companies uh, exclude flood cover from from flood-prone areas. Um, So so the the places that get hit repeatedly or have been hit significantly in the past undoubtedly will have had flood cover excluded. Yeah, and we we are dealing with a number of those people this morning, but there are people whose homes and businesses have flooded uh, for the first time ever. Is your insurance company the first person or do you you get contact them before you even start the clean-up? Well, you can still you can still start a clean up. Of course, people have to have to try and recover and get back on. But our advice to people would be to properly record uh, uh, the the damage. Photographs uh, will tell a, a, a thousand words, um, and it'll be easier to kind of compile an inventory once all of the photographs of all of the damage is is, is kept. Um, people should not dispose of stuff off site. So. Uh, before their insurance company uh, assessor gets a, a chance to look at it. Um, otherwise, they could be accused of, of prejudicing their own position and disposing of stuff that was damaged that they, the insurance company's lost just or could say, well, we didn't see it. So, so leave, it, leave it out in the garden because we, we're Correct. hearing of offers of skips, uh, which is a very kind offer to give to people. But if you need the loss assessor to assess... Yeah. Yeah. Hold on before you put it into the skip. Absolutely, is, is, I, I, that would be our advice. Now, and last assessors are going out fairly quickly, aren't they? We're, we're already here with some arriving this morning. Absolutely, I yeah. mean we have our own team of guys uh, on the ground. We, we have a significant number of, of last assessors in in Cork, uh, um, and yeah, we're there to kind of compile those inventories and help people with decisions. But for the moment, it's kind of a clean up and uh, trying to remove the the excessive uh, moisture and and. The mud yeah. that we've all seen. 
it's just mud and sludge. It's it's horrendous. It really is horrendous. Okay, Uh, we leave it there. Listen, thank you for that, uh, Jim, and thanks for joining us. Okay, Um, good morning to you. That is Jim uh, Flannery from OMC Claim. He's a claims loss assessor. Okay, a lot of commentary in about the uh, flooding, and I'm going to get to it. But I just want to get to one more uh, caller because uh, we got through a lot in the last hour. But I just want to speak with one more person on the devastation that's happened in East Cork, and that's Cork East. Uh, Deputy James O'Connor, um, who's in Rathgormick this morning. Good morning to James. Good morning, Patricia. I saw you on Virgin Media News uh, last night. D- d- were you in the doll when it all started to unfold and then you just got back to East Cork as quick as you could? Was, was that how your day unfolded yesterday? Yes, we were in Leinster House yesterday and around 9.30 in the morning, uh, the first call started to come in, actually from Town, where there was a, a huge amount of flooding towards the back of Parks, many will know Parks Amusements in Yall, and near the dog track, um, a housing estate there called Chestnut Drive. Uh, there was significant flash flooding. But what started to happen, Patricia, then, is, is, is later into the morning, around 10 and 11 o'clock, um, we got more and more calls from rural one-off houses in, 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 the, in the different townlands. Like I heard my local parish priest, uh, Father Tim Hazelwood, there describe the damage uh, up the road from my own home place in Inch and in Killa which has been devastated. And then later, what happened was that the rivers in Middleton started to to flood. Uh, I was actually having a, a, a cup of tea in the morning and uh, just having a quick look over uh, what needed to be done for the rest of the day. And I ran into to Deputy Michael Minan and a good friend of mine. And um, he said to me that, you know, they, they, they'd seen and heard calls as well from people um, down in East Cork uh, that things were getting worse, that we were, we were monitoring it. And look, I decided to, to leave and go um, at about 11 o'clock, about 12 o'clock in the day and get back down. But what we arrived to in Middleton um, was a scene of, of huge devastation. The main street was flooded. Um, there was up to five feet of water in sections of Middleton Main Street. Every business premises along the main street, um, you know, that was on the ground floor level has been um, very heavily impacted. Many of them are destroyed. Uh, the community hospital, Patricia, um, there was 32 patients there were remained there overnight awaiting evacuation in the community nursing unit. Um, patients in the Onakura, our service users in the Onakura Centre had to be moved to Middleton Park Hotel along with their uh, full-time residential care staff. Um, so it's a scene of great devastation. The Garda station in Middleton uh, was badly flooded in Courthouse and the Garda station is now operating out of the Park Hotel. Um, so the damage is in the tens of millions. Um, the road networks around different locations, Ladies Bridge, um, Gary Vaux, uh, you know, uh, down around um, uh, areas of, of Killa and Inch and Castle Martyr um, and Klein, uh, Whitegate as well. Um, some of the rural byroads there are completely destroyed. Um, so We're hearing people, so you know, I mean, I was uh, speaking with the principal of the Educate Together School in Middleton, you know, having to evacuate children in, in a tractor and trailer. If there had been a red warning given, none of those schools would have opened yesterday. A hundred percent. And that's the question I want an answer from Met Aaron on. And we haven't heard anything from them yet. They've been suspiciously silent. Uh, and I want to say this this morning. We spoke to people yesterday in farming and agriculture that have rainwater measurement instruments on their farms. Some of them have told us that in a space of about 30 hours, some of them were measuring up to 110 mils of rain after falling. Some estimates were higher. Um, but, you know, I think 70 mils is the limit for a red water or for a red uh, rain uh, weather warning. Um, yesterday we saw a, a downgrading from amber to, to yellow in terms of the weather warning affecting County Cork. Uh, but what's happened in Middleton has been a scene of utter uh, devastation in other locations around rural one-off houses in the villages. I'm here in Rathcormac here now near Fumoy. 
Um, there's been houses and homes here affected badly and businesses as well. People are doing clear out at the moment. Um, and it's, it's utterly devastating, Patricia. Um, I, I, spoke, I can't believe the damage that's been done. I spoke in the last hour with um, Alan O'Reilly of Carlow Weather. I mean, I think everybody knows the wonderful Alan O'Reilly. And it is only a hobby what that guy does. He's, he's incredible. And he had been on to us yesterday uh, before the real devastation happened, warning what was coming, saying this is going to be really, really bad. He was making the point today because there's a lot of criticism about why we weren't under uh, or parts of the county wasn't under a red uh, weather warning. He was making the point that Cork as a city and county is simply too big to place it under one weather warning. Scotland, for example, today, they have parts under a red weather warning. Not the whole whole country, but parts of it. He's saying that Cork needs to be broken up into areas. It makes a lot of sense. It certainly does. Uh, That's something I'd wholeheartedly support. And even given the scale and size of the county, you know, even East Cork, it was very localised. The bulk of the damage, like Glanmire, all the way down into y'all and um, seem to be along the coast, you know, and, and inland, of course, as well, up as far as Rathcormick seems to be the, 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 the very, the, the most significant amount of damage. Um, you know, it, it is, it is in the tens of millions. So we're awaiting in, in Rathcormick here, the arrival of the Minister for Finance. Um, we want to get additional money and support and there's going to be an individual suite of measures needed here to support businesses, residential homes, um, you know, we know there's over 100 homes in Middleton alone that flooded, uh, and that's on top of other locations. We've seen people's cars being pulled out um, of water this morning. I, I was driving along the road from Killa um, to, to towards um, Ladies Bridge um, just to get a sense of what had happened. And uh, there was cars being, being taken off of, you know, tarred rural roads this morning that had gone into pools of water. So it's everywhere this morning. There's a crisis meeting uh, taking place as we speak in the middle in the Middleton Fire uh, Station, where people from Cork County Council, um, from the emergency services there, um, are all meeting. Uh, we're awaiting Minister McGrath's arrival here with Councillor William O'Leary in Rathcormac. Um, and, and to be fair, um, I think the Taoiseach as well is currently in route um, to Middleton. Okay. Um, and, and, He's and, due to arrive at one o'clock. Yeah, and, and when you talk of the premises uh, in uh, certainly in uh, Middleton and in other parts of East Cork, the, the, they would have flooded nine years ago. So many of those don't have flood insurance. Financially, they have to be looked after. They do, uh, and you know something is that that we need to have a serious a serious look at as well is the flood defences in Middleton Town. There's going to be a huge need for those to be expedited. Uh, now, I want to say in relation to Killa, I heard Father Tim describe, uh, you know, very, very, uh, very with, with great detail what happened in Killa yesterday. We we came back, Killa's my home village, it's where, it's where my home parish, and um, we came back there last night. We I don't want to name the person. We met one business that had flooded, and the gentleman told us in the 200 years history of Killa that he has details on Killa Village Main Street never flooded. Yeah. So that just gives an indication of just how 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 severe this was, uh, why it did merit the attention from it here. And, and even look at, at, at a media level, everybody locally, including C103 and everyone else has been covering it. But even in RT yesterday, there wasn't much said about this. And I, we need to make sure people nationwide know how much damage has been done here in East Cork. It's so important to work with local media. But at a national level as well, this needs the attention. Okay. Um, that the okay. And, and, and very, so very done. finally, can I throw my tuppence safety worth in for the council? A lot of roads are really, really badly damaged. They need additional funding now more than ever. They certainly do, Patricia. And actually, thank you for, for, for reminding me to say this. I have to say the work that was done yesterday by ordinary members of staff on Cork County Council, the emergency services, 
the volunteers that came out from the reserves from Angarda Shiakana, the members of Angarda Shiakana, you know, um, we had people there from 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 um, the defence forces from the army that came down. We had people that came uh, from from the RNLI uh, and loads of other uh, you know um, charitable organisations, you know, uh, you know, uh, non-state bodies and volunteers as well. There was farmers came down, you know, Draddy's there and a couple of other agricultural contractors around East Cork made a huge effort to come down and help out on a voluntary basis with people around loads of locations in East Cork yesterday. That's for community I spirit. The point of the devastations in Middleton, Patricia. Yeah, and, and, um, I, and I did say it earlier, uh, there was no lives lost and that's the most important thing. We can replace items that are damaged and, you know, buildings uh, can be renovated. No lives were lost. So let's, uh, let's concentrate on that as well. Listen, James, I let you go. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you, Patricia. OK, good morning to you. That is Cork East uh, Fianna Fáil Deputy uh, James O'Connor. Hi, Patricia. Could you give a special mention to all of the civil defence volunteers who were so active uh, to help out with the flooding in Middleton and Cork City? Yesterday, there was units from Cork North and East, West Cork and Cork City. Great job uh, they did, particularly in helping to evac- evacuate people from their homes and from their businesses. Hi, Patricia, listening in in your conversation with regards to the weather yesterday. I can't understand why the schools did open, particularly when we knew that there was going to be extreme weather conditions. Could a lot of that learning not be done online? I can understand businesses who would have opened up because they have to make a living, particularly those that suffered so terribly in the pandemic. Sam says, Patricia, what about some of the farmers in County Cork who were busy spreading slurry on Monday the 16th when an orange weather warning was in place for heavy rain on Tuesday morning? What about the quality of of water in our taps today. Sam is worrying, is it safe? Bill is in Clonakilty. He says there is no one to blame for this catastrophe in Middleton, only Cork County Council and on board Planola. They've built over 4,000 homes in Middleton, along with houses in Castle Marcher and other areas of East Cork. They've built on floodplains and if not on floodplains it was areas where water used to go once upon a time. We've reports that the road from two, two mile in to Mogili flooded. Mogili vil- village is impassable due to the flooding. Uh, still flooding in Castle Marcher this morning. Gary says his premises was affected last night. He's lost thousands of euro worth of stock. He said men had to go in and basically swim into his shop late last night to try to rescue five staff who were in there trying to clear the stock and keep the clock the stock safe. We now have to dump all the stock but he said can the council workers who were there yesterday can we have more of those please? More outdoor workers. Also the army were down which was much appreciated but they should be deployed to, again today as part of the uh, clean up. And I wonder are they going to be uh, deployed? Maybe that's something we could get back on to James O'Connor about and, and make that point. Make that point that Gary made that maybe for the clear up they need the army as well. Pat in from Oi feeds people need people now need to cop on when it comes to climate change. This could have happened uh, anywhere yesterday. You could have been in Watergrass Hill and flooding could have been gushing through one of the highest villages in Ireland with the level of rain that fell yesterday. Tony is out on the Barry Peninsula. He says, when there is an orange wind warning for Kerry, we on the Barry Peninsula prepare here because we know that we will be impacted as the weather doesn't stop at the border. Well done to Alan from Carlow Weather for calling out why not have red areas instead of county 
wide warnings. Cork is simply too big to give a warning that would cover the entire county. It either needs to be split up or give us a map where the red area could be clearly marked. It makes common sense. People's lives are at risk here. I'm also told that the Carrick Two-Wheel Railway Station has reopened. Middleton still closed but due to reopen later at this evening. And Councillor Declan Hurley in West Cork messaging us today says, Patricia, please convey our thoughts and best wishes from West Cork to the communities of East Cork. Following the aftermath of yesterday's flooding, we here in West Cork know all too well of these situations, but yesterday's flooding was on a whole new level. Well done to all of the emergency and frontline services who were on hand uh, yesterday. And a final WhatsApp in from Michael to say there's an old Irish saying that says, the windy day is not the day for thatching. Michael says, you could also say the rainy day is not the day to be out clearing drains, dikes and water tables. Thousands of euro worth of damage has been caused by heavy rains yesterday. Heavy rains that simply had nowhere to go. All because none of the works are being carried out by county councils, simply because they don't have the funding are the labour force. Yet this one-off event yesterday will now end up costing tens of thousands of euros. It'll possibly run into millions. It could have been prevented or at least eased. It is high time that our own council, Cork County Council, is properly funded. Thanking you. And that is from Michael. 0818 103 103. Lines open. C103 Jobs. Six dumper drivers are wanted to drive seven to nine tonne dumpers. It's in the Canturk area. CVs please to jobs at habitatfrench.com. The Office of Public Works, they're seeking applications for craft mason and a general operative. It's in the National Monuments District in Mallow. That does include the Kinsale sub-depot. Full details and application forms are available on gov.ie, Office of Public Works, under the current vacancies tab. Tire fitter wanted for Balancolic. Experience will be an advantage, although full training can be provided. Uh, email cavtires at gmail.com. And the Gallery Bar and Restaurant in Mallow, they've got vacancies for all grades of chefs and part-time bar and service personnel. You can send a CV to info at gallery restaurant and bar, galleryrestaurantbar.com or call them at 022 20760. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Just less than a week ago, a GoFundMe page was set up to install a defibrillator for the village of Donorail. That would be accessible to all. The fund has been set up to remember a local woman, Brenda Lucy. And to explain more, I'm joined by her daughter, uh, Gillian. Good morning to you, Gillian. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. And listen, I really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us uh, today because uh, if I'm right, your mother's first anniversary is this Saturday. It is, yeah. it is indeed, yeah. So it's a, a, it's a tough, tough time for you. So I suppose, firstly, T- tell me a little bit about y- your mother and what, what kind of a woman was she and how, how do you best remember her? Well, I suppose she was a big community person. She worked in the play school for over 30 years. So she was, um, sorry. You're okay. No. I know. Um, no, she worked in the community for years and years um, at the local play school. Yeah. So was, uh, every child in the community would have known her. Um, 
she was part of various groups like Tidy Towns, the ICA, Active Retirement. So she was, I suppose she was well known. If it, if, it, if it moved in Donnerell, uh, Brenda was in the middle of it somehow. And well, that, that kind of explains the reaction that you're getting uh, to, this, uh, to this GoFundMe. And, oh, that's it. and she well, suffered, was it a sudden heart attack or had she been unwell leading up to it? No, no, it was a sudden heart attack. And the day it happened, there wasn't a local defibrillator? There wasn't. Well, we weren't aware that there wasn't, I suppose. Um, when we arrived, because uh, she said she wasn't feeling well, and we rang the emergency services who told us to get a defibrillator and just have it on standby. Um, but there wasn't any available. We were running around the place. Well, a member yeah. of our family was running around the place. And finding it very hard to um, Access locate one. anything that wasn't locked in. So, how, how long then did you, did your mum have to wait before someone with the defibrillator finally arrived? Well, we are so lucky. We have a first responder group in Donrell, and within ten, maybe ten minutes, um, Teresa, our first responder, arrived. And she had a defibrillator. She had a defibrillator with her, and she stayed with us until. And resuscitated my mum before the ambulance arrived. Those first responder groups, it's only yeah. when you need their help that you realise the role they play. And they're oh, all they're phenomenal. And they're volunteers. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And then because of that, you got, I believe, an additional three weeks with your mother. We did, yeah. Yeah, we were very, very lucky. And very, very precious um, three weeks. And did your mother then in those three weeks, speak about the need to get a defibrillator. <laughs> um, Mammy was gassed. Mammy didn't really think about herself a whole pile in this. Um, she just said to us, like, how could anyone go through that? And how could anybody be running around the place like that? It, do you know, she said, lad, you have to do something about it. And I suppose up to now, we weren't strong enough. I know. I know, it takes, it takes that first year, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. And the pain. The, it's Listen, I always say when I hear uh, of a mum or a dad uh, dying, there's never a right time to say goodbye to a much loved uh, mum or dad. And you just you have to be kind to yourself and, and to each other. So take it nice and easy. But what you're doing now, uh, I think, would put a great big smile on your mother's face. I think she's looking down and would be so, so proud of you. You set up the GoFundMe. It's less than a week ago. I know when I checked yesterday, it's 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 if I'm it's three thousand, isn't it, to buy? It's four thousand today. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's three thousand. Was was? Oh, you, sorry. Yeah. yeah, three thousand was yeah was the target. And it's gone well over four thousand. It's gone over four. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's testament to. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Your mom. And, and it is to your mom and, and how, how people uh, felt about her. So the plan is, is, is to buy this defibrillator and what or where will you put it, Gillian? Well, this is my 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 other problem. Okay. <laughs> um, we have the funds now to purchase it, and we're hoping to have it located. Um, well, I was thinking myself maybe on the Garda Station Wall. Yeah. Would be a good place, but after umpteen phone calls and emails, I'm I'm failing to get permission. Okay, you have to get permission. Well, not to get permission. Yeah. I'm failing to find someone who can advise me or to to give me the go ahead. Okay, so we need to so hear from someone who who got who got a defibrillator installed before. What's the process? Well, this is it. Even who to contact? I know it's an OPW building. Okay. Um, and I know that well, the guardian are occupying it, obviously. But um, it's just to do everything correctly and have it installed as soon as possible. Yeah, because these people. Yeah, you have every chance. Yeah, you, ha- you have the money, and what will you do with what's left over? Um, we're looking into doing some training courses. Good, and yeah. try and get some people kind of, I suppose, equipped to use it. Well, that's the key. You can have the defibrillator, but you need people trained up. That's it. If if they have some training, it mightn't it mightn't be as, as severe. Or if someone can come to your aid, a neighbour or a friend. So if we could get just a just a small group maybe together that would do the training and just be aware of how how to use these things. And it's only when something like this happens, like what happened with, with your lovely ma'am, that you realise the importance of a medical aid like this. Unbelievable. It is. It's unbelievable. Like, as I said to you, we wouldn't have even imagined that there wasn't a defibrillator. Not to mind... No, wondering how would we use it if we ever had to. Yeah. So it's um it's it's something that I suppose even if other people hear this, just make sure that there's one in your village. Or know where it is for everyone just to be aware. It's like you know when you get on the aeroplane and they say check your emergency exits and look behind you yes. to see. Yeah. So, so for yeah. everyone just to have an awareness of oh well that's where the defibrillator you may never need well, it. That's it. Because even in that minute, you'll probably doubt yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I was looking, I went on the GoFundMe page uh, yesterday, Gillian. There's a beautiful video. In yes. who, who, who put that video together? That was um, myself and my partner, Mick. Stunning. <laughs> yeah, it we just... were running around the place with 
drones and cameras and stuff trying to get it organised, yeah. It's just a beautiful clip of, of what is a, what is a beautiful village anyway and you've got, you're blessed to have Donnerill Park and Donnerill Court there. It's just, it's gorgeous. Well done, well done. I thought you'd... Thank you. I thought you got it professionally <laughs> done. And and, the, no, and it was, was the song, the, the words of the song were quite poignant. I, I hadn't heard that song before. It's, it's funny. I used that on one of my work videos a few years back and my mother said, oh my God, where did you get that song? I love it. She never asked me about my video for work or anything. It was all about the music. So I think it was um, it was fitting. She she so she almost picked the song for you. <laughs> she, did, <laughs> she did. Well done. Well yeah. done. And how is your dad doing, Gillian? He's not too bad. He's coming around. Is he? It, it takes it takes so much time. It does. It does. Okay, listen, and and our thoughts will be with all of you at the weekend because that first anniversary can be. I, I I often think with the first anniversary, it's the lead up to it is worse than the actual day itself. So hope, hopefully, the day hopefully. will the, the day will pass. Okay, and in the meantime, people can still donate uh, to the fund. It's a uh, defib for uh, Donnerill up on uh, Go Fund Me and. Uh, commiserations on the loss of what was a wonderful wonderful woman uh, Brenda Lucy and Donnery listen it was a pleasure speaking with you Gillian thank you for that and well done to you and and the family it's a great thing to do God bless thank you Uh, look after yourself bye bye that is uh, Gillian uh, Lucy and and she's right every area I mean there are defibrillators all over the place but it's actually knowing where your local defibrillator is so we wish uh, Gillian's family the best of luck as they fundraise for that defibrillator for Donnerell which ultimately will go on to save lives now excitement is really starting to build for the unveiling tomorrow of the much anticipated statue of Michael Collins on the Grand Parade in the city and no one can be more excited than Tim Crowley who is chair of the Michael Collins 100 committee who uh, joins me uh, and also in a couple of minutes I'll be joined by uh, GAA sporting le- legend Rena Buckley. Rena is part of the official unveiling but Tim Crowley joins me first. Good morning to you Tim. Good morning Patricia. Uh, you're welcome uh, to the programme. I suppose take yeah. me back remind us how the, all of this statue for the city came about. Um, I suppose uh there was a few of us um, hatched um, the idea of, of putting up a, a new statue of Michael Collins um, with his bicycle um, based on the, uh, the iconic uh, photograph taken of him in Wexford down in, in 1922. But it, it kind of symbolises, I suppose, the, the fight that he led against the, the British during the War of Independence. But uh, we, we were approached then um, by Councillor Shane O'Callaghan in, in um, Cork City Councillor and, and Jerry Carey, businessman up there, and they, they asked us, would we consider putting the, uh, the statue in, in Cox City? And then, of course, we were delighted, and we kind of, the, the phrase came into our heads, I suppose, the, 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 um, the rebel Michael Collins and the rebel city. <laughs> and then uh, Shane O'Callaghan, councillor, organised the passing of the, uh, of the motion through Cox City Council, and I have to say we got great support from the Cox City Councillors because the... They actually passed the motion to provide a site for the statue uh, by uh, 22 votes uh, to one, uh, obviously 22 in favour. So um, that was last September, 12 months, and um, we formed the committee then, uh, the Michael Collins 100 committee, to to, um, organise the whole project, and we got, uh, it's a small committee of just eight people, and they're they're sort of specialists in in their own right, with um, a person 
charge of finance and the tech and, and uh, all the, the different uh, things you need to, to run a project. And, and thankfully, in, in 13 months, uh, we're just um, on the evening of the statue being It's brilliant. It's, it's brilliant, the speed at which, because I remember talking to you at the start of it, wondering how long it was going to take. It's, it's incredible, the speed uh, with which you've worked uh, on this. Uh, you mentioned the, somebody dealing with the finance. You had to go out and fundraise for it. We did, yeah. We we got uh, tremendous support from uh, from uh, people and businesses, uh, not alone in Cork City and County, but also throughout the rest of the, the, the um, Ireland and from the UK and, and the United States and all of that. And in in many ways, um, we couldn't we would be in this position only for the only for the, the fantastic support we've got from people and businesses. And uh, of course, um, some people are calling this the people's Michael Collins um, uh, sculpture, and, and you could call it that. Yeah, and there's something nice about that. There's something nice that people put their hands in their pocket and says said, you know, I want to be involved in this. Now it's near life size. Just uh, describe it for people. Well, it, um, Michael Collins himself was around five foot eleven, and this uh, the statue was about six foot three, six foot four, okay. and uh, it was actually placed in position this morning above in the, in, 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 on the site there at, at six o'clock, and all the committee were up there with the um, members of, of the city council and, and, and the, the contractors and so on, and um, he, he's standing with his bicycle, and um, he, his back is to the uh, the city library, and he's looking across the the, the street and. Uh, What's incredible, really, is that that the, the, the actual spot where the statue has been placed is the exact spot where he where he stood in 1922 in March on a platform, and he spoke to um, 50,000 people. And uh, in the, in the photographs of that meeting in, in from 1922, you can actually see he, he's speaking, and, and just across the street is number 35 Grand Parade. It's a very unusual shop front, and back then it was the the Tract and Book Society um, premises. Uh, today it's actually uh, the Boots Hearing Care Shop, but the, the, the shop front is exactly the same now. The facade is, is, is the same, yeah. There's, yeah. there's something quite poignant about having it on that spot, isn't it? And how did that spot come about? Well, we were given a number of options by, by Cork City Council, and I have to say the, the, um, the, the, whole, the whole experience dealing with Cork City Council with this project has been hugely positive. And, and, and I have to give them huge credit to the officials and, and the councillors for, the, for the, the cooperation they've given us with all of this. But they, they, um, they gave us a number of sites, one or two in Patrick Street and, and, and that, that, is the, that one on the, on the South Mall. And we knew Michael Collins had spoken uh, on the South Mall in 1922. And when we went to researching then to find out the exact spot, we just couldn't believe it was the site that the, that the, the, the council had given us. Well, you know, so and uh, and are, you, are you happy with the likeness? Of it, because the other way sometimes we can see statues unveiled and people go, oh God, that looks nothing like him. Yeah, no, oh, definitely, because um, uh, now Kevin Holland, of course, who's the sculptor, um, uh, some of our committee, Trela Kodunvan and myself, uh, we worked with him 21 years ago with the one down in Tlanakilty, mm. and uh, yeah, Kevin is hugely talented, and uh, like uh, from the word go, uh, Kevin was, you know, very insistent that the likeness, that's the first thing that has to be good. And then, of course, you know, the proportions of the, of the, of the bike and all that kind of stuff as well. So I, I think, I think um, Kevin has really nailed it with this one now again. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing people's reactions tomorrow when the, when the, uh, the big green cape will be, will be taken off it. You sound like you're happy with it, though. Oh, well, we are. We are. No, we've been, we've been kind of looking at it every step of the way. And it's, it's amazing as well how, the, uh, how, how making a statue, how the process has changed that little bit in 21 years. It's, there's computers and so on now, a lot more involved in the whole process. And then the actual statue itself, the, the, the parts were cast in, in Germany 
and then they 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 were brought back to McCroom and there's um there's a there's a company there in McCroom and uh, who actually assembled the, the parts together um sculpture form so they they did a really good job as well. Well done, well done. Now you've opted um for sporting legends to do the unveiling. Yes, well I suppose um. We, in our committee, there's a few of the committee involved in politics, but um, half of the committee uh, would be strictly non-political, including myself. And, and uh, so I suppose uh, when we did meet initially, that, that was one of the things that we were saying, is that this would be totally non-political. It would be cultural and historical. And uh, that's, that's the ethos of, of the committee. And um, so the, the last time we unveiled the, the statue of Michael Collins down in Tonic it was unveiled by a person from the arts. And of course, that was the actor Liam Neeson. Uh, and this time we decided to, uh, to um, look at the Cork Sporting Legends. And um, uh, obviously they, they performed in a different field to Michael Collins. But, you know, the, the, the actions of the people that we've picked for, for to unveil this um, uh, statue, uh, you know, have um, spoken for themselves. Uh, yeah. they've, they've, Roland, they've, they've, Roland O'Gara, Jimmy Barry Murphy and Rena Buckley, who I'm told is on the other line. So let me bring Rena in, uh, a dual GAA star and very much a legend in her own right. Good morning to you, Rena. Good morning, Patricia. How oh, are you? I'm well. Always <laughs> great to talk to you. Um, how did you feel when you got the call about being part of the unveiling ceremony? I was totally taken aback, Patricia, to be honest. Um, so Tim very kindly got in touch with me and, and he explained that, you know, they were going to be unveiling a statue for Michael Collins and he asked, would I would I like to be one of the three that would participate in, in the unveiling? Um, it came completely out of the blue. Um, and I, I suppose I, I did wonder why, why I was selected. And Tim explained, just like he did with you there now, that they were going with non-political people um, and that he would like for myself and Jimmy Barry Murphy and Ronan O'Gara to, um, to, to, to to perform the unveiling. And, I mean, what can I say? It was, was a huge honour for myself and for, you know, just to be asked to, yeah. to participate in such a such an event. So you didn't have to go away and soul search. It was an instant, yes, I'm in, I'd be delighted. <laughs> Absolutely. Look, yeah. Michael Collins is a huge, a huge figure in, in Irish history. Um, I can I can see I suppose on reflection, you know he wants to to go with kind of non political people and look it's a huge honour to be to be part of of the the tree who he who he and the the group selected to to unveil and you know it's an honour for me and I certainly will be looking forward to, well to the morning tomorrow in 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 Cork. Yeah, because I like all of us here in Cork, you know, regardless of what your pers- political persuasion is, we all have this great affinity, don't we, with Michael Collins? Absolutely, yeah. And I suppose, look, we're all acutely aware that he was he was a Cork man. It was something that he was very very proud of. Um, I suppose I'm a Cork person, and that's something I'm very proud of. So. Look, it's, it'll be just a, it'll be a, a, an absolutely lovely day. It'll be a, a fantastic occasion, um, and I think the the statue which which Tim has just described there, I think it'll be very apt, um, and I think it'll be something that'll really add to the city, um, and you know, for such a such a huge figure in our in our history, I think it's it's great that you'll be recognised here in Cork. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing like being recognised uh, by your own. Uh, so, Tim, it is uh, 12 o'clock tomorrow on the Grand Parade and it, it's very much open to the public because, as you say, this really is a people's uh, statue, so anyone can come along. Oh, yes, anyone uh, that, um, that wants to come along tomorrow at, at 12 noon um, and a bit before, it, uh, preferably, 
uh, would be very, very welcome. And of course, there's a few other things happening as well because the the the, the, the music legend in, in, from Cork, John Spillane, is actually singing his new Michael Collins song, which he's specially written for for tomorrow's occasion. Right. And as well as actually of Naman, the armoured car that was with Michael Collins at Bernablaw is going to be brought down this evening actually by the, the army and uh, it would be in position very close to where the statue would be unveiled tomorrow and that's very poignant because I suppose in August of 1922, my, the evening before Michael Collins was shot, Leave Naman was part of the convoy that travelled from the Imperial Hotel there out to McCroom and they came back that night to, to the Imperial and then on the morning of, of Tuesday, the, August the 22nd, it was part of the convoy that went out to the Bernablaw and then, uh, more than likely, his body was brought back in, in the convoy as far as the Imperial again before it was taken to Shanachiel. And then, of course, the, the following uh, afternoon, then on the Wednesday, his um, funeral was taken in the coffin from Shanachiel in the Hearst, and it went around Singer's Corner there, very close to where the statue is being unveiled tomorrow, and down Patrick Street and onto the ship Classic back to, to Dublin for the burial. So the connections are, are just fantastic, and yeah. to have them on there tomorrow as well will, will be just amazing. And the fact that it's tomorrow, this this week is a, is a great week as well. It would have been his birthday on Monday, wasn't it, 16th? That's right, right. Yeah. His, his, his 133rd birthday. Yeah, so, so it's, it's on his birthday week uh, as well. That's Listen, right. enjoy the day because I know, uh, Tim, you and the committee have put a huge amount of work into it. Uh, and Rena as well, I can hear it in your voice how much you're looking forward to it. So enjoy it as well. And thank you both for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Tim Crowley, uh, member of the Michael Collins 100 uh, Committee who put together this amazing, um, uh, almost lifelike uh, statue of Michael Collins. If you're around the Grand Parade uh, tomorrow, feel free to pop along uh, from 12 uh, noon. And after that, I imagine it's going to become a big tourist attraction as well. Lots of people, I take it, will be getting their photographs uh, taken with it as well. And my thanks also to uh, GAA Jewel Star and legend in her own right, Rena Buckley. Some of your commentary coming in uh, this morning, scams. We always like to give you the latest scams that are doing the rounds. Thank you to a listener who sent this in, who just this morning got a text message claiming to be from gov.ie. And the scam text reads, you are eligible for a discounted electricity bill under the Energy Support Scheme and you can apply here. And it's a website that they're asking you to click on. But when you look at the website, you can clearly see it's gov slash online slash account dot com uh, the Irish website would never have a dot uh, com. Uh, that is very much a text message. And I know because I know that's kind of replacing the revenue one, this one claiming energy supports. And of course, because we know the government are giving out energy credits, the scammers know that the government are giving out energy credits. They send out these texts to tens of thousands of uh, people in the hope that somebody said, oh, I heard about that on the news. Oh, I need to click. Do not click on the link. And thank you to that listener who sent it on uh, to us. Now back to Flood and the repairs and the clean-up that is going on this morning. Patricia, it's all fine and all well and good to give people money to repair their homes and their business premises. But there's a big but coming. But what I'd like to know, plumbers, tilers, electricians are nowhere to be got. Where are they going to get these tradespeople to help them rebuild their homes, their businesses, etc.? We really need to start encouraging more boys and girls to go into the trade route because we always seem to be in short supply when it comes to plumbers, electricians, tilers, painters, whatever it it is. That's, That's a good point. And if there's a lot of people and there will be a lot of people in the one area 
all trying to dip into the same pool of plumbers and electricians and tilers and that is certainly going to cause problems. People are going to have to wait to get somebody to come to their premises uh, to sort them out. Hi Patricia, foreign news in particular, anything to do with war always seems to get preference on our state broadcaster when RTE decide to do their news. The extreme weather yesterday should have been headline on RTE, but guess what? It wasn't. Virgin Media are way ahead of RTE on this. And I actually watched both of the evening news yesterday and the very same thing went through my head. Virgin Media went straight to uh, Middleton and they had live uh, reports and they had various other uh, footage and I watched the half five then at six I opened. That's my routine. I switch over to the, the six one uh, news and they were in a good three or four stories before they got to the flooding and it did kind of enter my head if the flooding events that we saw in East Cork yesterday if they had been happening in Dublin it struck me they possibly would have led with it then and, and uh, I know that's, uh, that's probably me being a bit cynical in my old age but it, it did go through my head as well uh, thank you for your text Hi Patricia can I just say surely common sense should have come into play yesterday and principals should simply have closed all their schools in fairness common sense was used by the principals I mean the, the principal we had on from Educate Together in Middleton they took the decision when they realised how bad it was getting but of course when all the little kiddies went to school and the parents dropped them off we were under this orange weather warning nobody could have anticipated what was going to happen in the East Cork areas and principals are really good they can't preempt. they can't decide oh I think tomorrow's going to be bad so I'll close they can only close when there's a red alert issue then it automatically closes but up to that they leave it um, to principals then on a case by case basis but they couldn't because if they decided to close and then nothing happened they'd be in deep deep trouble so they did most of the schools did use their common sense yesterday and sent uh, children home and a number of schools I know in East Cork for example are closed uh, today. Somebody from Ballinhasic wants to point out that a number of homes between Five Mile Bridge and Ballinhasic they flooded but they didn't flood until yesterday evening. It was awful what happened. Owen is in Carrigaline. He said many homes and businesses flooded here as well. Simply awful the scenes witnessed yesterday and Owen is making the point that whenever there's any kind of heavy rainfall now the town of Carrigaline seems to flood. Something needs to be done about that. And through our traffic report system, I'm getting reports in that there are still some pockets of flood water on the Inniscarra Road after Leemount Cross. Now, cars are flying through it and one poor man is trying to do some work on the roadside and he's getting absolutely soaked by motorists. Please be aware of pedestrians and please be aware of guys who are working on the side of the road. It really is not nice to get absolutely soaked by a car passing by. Just slow down as you're passing someone. And then lots of people are trying to come up with solutions as to what, you know, where has it all gone wrong? Why are we having so many of these flood events? Eddie is in Bandon. He says the removal of the dikes and the ditches in the 70s and the 80s, primarily funded by Europe. Now the water simply runs off the fields and straight onto the roads. All those ditches being removed, many of those had trees in them. So they would have held the water back for a certain period of time. And then the water would have eventually ebbed and flowed away and they would have had trees and shrubs 
in the dikes and the ditches that would have been able to absorb it. Now the water is flowing downhill and that's the problem. It's nowhere to go except out onto the uh, road. Rachel in Middleton said the council didn't have sandbags for the people of Middleton yesterday. She said when they went looking for them they were advised to go to Carrick Tuhill. But they need also, said Rachel, to dredge the rivers to keep the water flowing. Why are people not doing their jobs? Why? She questions, I'm assuming she's a business owner, why are people paying council rates when we don't seem to get anything back from it? Oh, she's a business owner. Four and a half feet of water in Rachel's business yesterday. And that's not just water. That's not just like a burst pipe with clean water coming out of it. That's mud and silt and gunk. It's just awful. Hi, Patricia. This is from Donal. A lot of the causes of the flooding is to do with the number of new housing estates and roads that have been built. We've ended up with acres and acres of concrete. When it rains heavy, water simply has nowhere to go. Rivers are blocked with bushes and silt. In the past, the land that was empty, didn't have houses built on it, used to soak up that rain and then they would release it slowly, says Donal. But I suppose with the population you know, doubling in the last number of years. Houses have to be built somewhere, but I suppose it's where they're actually building the houses uh, seems to be the problem. 0818 103 103. And on a completely different topic that I touched on very briefly this morning when I fathered Tim Hazelwood on, and this is to do with the TG Cahar documentary, the Mishnock programme that went out last night about Father Tony Flannery and the wonderful Father Tony joined us yesterday on the programme. Well, one listener says, I watched that programme on TG Cahar uh, last Last night about Father Tony Flannery. It made me very sad to think that the Catholic Church could treat a person, not to mind one of their own, the way they've treated Father Tony, especially when they are the first to teach children and us the adults about confession and to confess your sins and take responsibility for your actions. But here we are, 11 years on and the preachers of the faith, the hierarchy, so to speak, uh, where are they? They would rather hide, just like a lot of other people with the power to change things. The more letters before or after somebody's name, I find the less human they are. Keep the faith for the Tony. Uh, God will, uh, God treats everybody equally. And I hope and pray that somebody will use some common sense approach and realise what an asset for the Tony really uh, is. Yeah, I mean, I watched it last night and I agree. I was I was angry in parts of it. Do you know when you can feel your anger building up inside inside in you? If I could have had some of the hierarchy of the Vatican or if I could have had the Archbishop in front of me, what I would and wouldn't have liked to have, have said. But there was another part where I came away from it. I came away from it with a really heavy heart for Father, Father Tony. When he spoke, as he spoke with us yesterday and spoke with us last year about the death of his sister, his beautiful sister Geraldine, who he was so close with, and he wanted to say her funeral mass. And when he were, and when she was on her deathbed, and he rang through to the archbishop to get permission to say the mass for Geraldine in the cathedral, bearing in mind it was COVID time, so there only would have been ten people inside in the church, and uh, he got the answer back to say the archbishop said no, and. Uh, and then 15 minutes later, he gets the phone call to say Geraldine had died. And you, the pain, when he spoke with us yesterday, you could hear the pain. But to watch him last night relay that story and God help him, he got really upset. He got very, very uh, emotional. That broke my heart. That made me cry. I just, I wanted to hug him. I just really wanted to hug him. He's a fine, fine man and he is full of compassion 
and just because his views um, are slightly different to the church's teachings they just railed against the man but what's most annoying is a lot of what Father Tony had been saying for many years is now readily accepted We've, we only last week mentioned the Pope coming out and saying he could see no reason why a same-sex couple couldn't get a blessing in the church he wasn't advocating that they'd be allowed to marry but he couldn't see anything wrong with them getting um, a, a blessing and they were the kind of things that Father Tony has always been speaking about but isn't he a man who has the courage of his convictions I mean the easy way for him would have been when he got summoned to the Vatican and that piece of paper slipped across the table at him all he had to do was you know sign it and agree I'll give up writing I'll I'll renounce everything that I believe in and he could have gone on along his merry way and stayed on as a priest but he's an honest kind compassionate man who said no he couldn't do that he couldn't go against what he believes in his mind and in his heart and it just yeah it was a great show and it's worth if you didn't see it you, you certainly will be able to get it on TG Cahara on the, on the player Mishnock um, it was brilliant it was really brilliant and well done to everybody involved in the making of uh, that programme and it's there as, as Tony said yesterday when I asked him why, why did he agree to do it he wants his story on record and it will be there for uh, ever more so well done to Father Tony Flannery 0818103103 John Paul's taking your calls texts and whatsapps are up and running 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county See corkcoco.ie Couple of lotto draws going on the Nazareth House Mallow lotto draw this afternoon their jackpot is 10,000 euro and Kildallery their weekly lotto is today at 4 in the community office their jackpot slightly higher they're at 10,000 800 euro. Uh, Gwail Skull, Muskery and Blarney, they've got an open night tonight from half past six until eight. All are uh, welcome. And the Dementia Sunshine Memory Cafe, that will be held in Bandon Town Hall this afternoon between three and five. If you'd like more details, Mandy is your contact at St. Michael's 085 8840744. And the Mallow Committee of the Irish Cancer Society, they're holding their big pink coffee morning. It's tomorrow morning half nine until half twelve and it's in Hurley's Centre in uh, Mallow. And Kilbrin Community are hosting a fabulous glitz and glamour fashion show. It's on tomorrow night at eight with all proceeds going to the Alzheimer's Society and Suicide Awareness. Local models will showcase designs from Jennifer Jones, Lady Lydia, Swear by Fashion and Dunn's Stores. And why not let the hobbies of the boyfriends watch the World Cup rugby while you plan your style for the Christmas party season. Tickets are €10. Euro. You can contact Bernice on 0879547753. And Ballonhasset Community First Responders, they'll hold a coffee morning with a CPR demonstration next Saturday morning, half ten to one and it'll be held in Barrett's Bar in Kilidi. Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Thanks to a listener just wants to highlight another scam to say they just got a phone call from, it looks like a normal, you know, 
mobile number here in Ireland. And, but when they answered the phone, it was claiming to be from Revolut and how the person had been overcharged. Please press one to sort out this issue. Now, the listener says, I don't have Revolut. So I knew immediately it was a scam. But a lot of people do have Revolut. So be careful. I don't know whether that's a new scam or not. Uh, never press anything like that that you would get by phone or text or uh, email. Thank you for that. And also thank you to uh, Michael who says this is um, this is from the doll and I'm assuming this uh, happened just in the last um, half an hour. Uh, the Thornish the Micheál Martin has told the doll that there's a fund of 10 million euro in the humanitarian fund available to those who've been impacted by the floods in uh, Cork. Households need to get in contact with the community welfare officer, he says, and business supports are also available and that's going to be particularly important even though there was a bit of criticism this morning on the humanitarian uh, fund that it's been there a long time. I don't know whether that needs to be looked at or not, but at least there's some funding available, particularly for those people who don't have insurance. And that includes business supports as well. So thank you for uh, Michael for sending that on uh, to us. We're looking for your pet questions, please. Keep those coming in to 0818103103. And when we speak of the government giving the humanitarian aid to our own, I think a lot of people will be happy to hear that we are looking after our own because you know we're we're certainly over the last number of months we're starting to get a lot of people saying you know how many more refugees can we afford to take in in this uh, country due to the costs that are involved well you'd be interested to hear that it's been reported that newly arrived Ukrainian people will only be offered accommodation by the state for a certain period of time before then they'll be asked that they need to find their own place to live and this is all under new plans now they're not in place yet but they're being considered by the government. Uh, the approach would bring Ireland into line with what, what other EU member states are doing, where the benefits that are given to Ukrainian refugees and the accommodation, it's much more limited than it is in this country. The new policy was discussed seemingly last week at a meeting of the Cabinet subcommittee, that, that special subcommittee on the response to the Ukrainian crisis. And it's among measures contained in a paper that was drawn up by officials working on housing at the moment tens of thousands of refugees and also they're trying to house asylum seekers who have fled from other countries who have come to Ireland. Now seemingly according to the Irish Times one minister said such an approach would be a recognition of moving to a more sustainable reality and while senior sources say there is that no full discussions have taken place yet um, or would be taken in isolation other government figures believe a shake-up is now likely to happen but any new changes that they do bring in it will only apply to new arrivals those who have already been accommodated here they won't be asked to leave their accommodation or they won't there won't be a limit put on the social welfare money that they're receiving so it'll only be for the new arrivals. Now one well-placed source involved in the discussion says the accommodation and the welfare offering to Ukrainians who have been located here is also being looked at again and that's in the wake of a decision by the EU member states to renew the temporary protection. We know now it's been renewed until March of 2025 which means that the Ukrainian refugees are going to be here until at least March of 2025. This emerged Emergency measure allows those fleeing the Ukrainian conflict. They can free movement, free rights to welfare, uh, work and accommodation within the EU. Now, some in the coalition believe recent announcements of large scale temporary 
accommodation facilities specifically for Ukrainians may now be an indication of how this new policy is going to work. For example, a briefing document has been sent out to local representatives and it's outlining how a new 950 bed facility that's going to be set up on the Glendalough estate over the winter. Now, it's solely for those fleeing the Ukrainian war. They will only stay on site for a few weeks as opposed to being put straight away into hotels or other accommodation where they then become part of the local community. The briefing document outlined that while the facility is contracted to provide services for at least 32 weeks, residents will only stay for a number of weeks where support services will be provided to assist them to adjusting to life in Ireland and then to aid them better to integrate and to get their own independence. Now, the accommodation that they're used, using are these, uh, I, I saw somebody talk about it on social media during the week, they're heated cabins and then they're contained within larger marquee type structures that are also heated. They're like, they're like turnkey. They have their own ensuite. They have their own, I think there's a small kitchen area uh, as well. So there's 950 of these uh, beds in the Glendalough uh, estate. Then there's a further 950 Ukrainians are set to be accommodated in the Stradbally estate uh, the um, next uh, month. And 378 beds will also be provided at the Punchestown Events Centre in uh, County Kildare. Now, since February of last year, uh, we know there's been a huge number of people that have fled to this country that the state have been providing accommodation for. It now uh, has gone over 97,500 people. Of those, 73,000 are fleeing from uh, Ukraine. The others are looking for international protection and asylum from other countries. That in turn, obviously, has put unprecedented pressure on the state system for receiving and then trying to integrate migrants uh, more acutely in accommodation. In the last six months, local representatives were told there's been on average 600 people seeking accommodation every week. I mean, the mind boggles. The coalition has put an accommodation working group in place and it's actually been chaired by the Department of the the Taoiseach to work on the crisis. So they're looking now at a completely different model. But what's going to be told to people when they arrive, they will be given a set period of time. They'll be given money during that uh, period, but then they've got to go out and integrate and become independent uh, themselves. And that certainly will take a little bit of pressure off the state because they will already be dealing uh, with the ones who have come already, the ones who are not going to be included, the 73,000 Ukrainians who are not going to be included in these new uh, proposals. 0818 103 103. Your thoughts welcomed on that. Is it the right move by the government? You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. And we also, by the way, are looking for your pet questions, uh, please, because... Jane Pickett, our resident vet, joins us next. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We're off to the Islandwood Veterinary Clinic, part of the Mill Street uh, Veterinary Group, where I'm joined by Jane Pickett. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon to you, Jane. 
Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. OK, lots of uh, questions in. A lot of them are behavioural ones. Uh, but firstly, uh, because unfortunately we weren't able to make contact with you last week and we had a string of questions in uh, last week to do with fireworks and bangers going off and dogs being absolutely terrified. Just remind listeners again your general advice to try and keep the pets a little bit calmer at this time of the year. Yeah, absolutely. This time of year, kind of leading from Halloween up to up to Christmas, tends to be a really stressful one for noise-sensitive pets. They really don't like the noise, and some of them even don't like the vibration of it. It can be a real challenge. I think the main points really are make sure that they're secure inside the house, so locked in, or if they have to go out to do their wheeze and poos, that they go on a lead so they're secure. Make sure they have identification on them, so uh, an, a name tag on their collar, and make sure they're microchipped in the so they're the basic safety measures but to make things easier for them create them a little kind of den I think if you have a crate or something like that or a little castle somewhere that they can voluntarily take themselves into or come out of that is kind of closed in on top that might kind of muffle the noise and the vibration a little bit of the fireworks and the bangers and cover it over with some heavy blankets so they kind of have a little den to go into don't force them in there just give them the option some of them you might set up the most beautiful den in the world and they'll find themselves in another spot to hide in. And that's fine. Just let them do their thing. I think the main thing is, is if they are fearful or anxious, they will try and hide. And that's okay in this situation. I wouldn't be trying to, let's say, bring them out into the, the living room with the family to keep them distracted. Just let them do their thing. Other things you can do to try and mask the noise is put on the radio in the background, probably slightly louder than you would. And um, again, just to mask the noise. Um, and I think the main thing is don't feed back into their anxiety if you can. So if they are showing kind of anxious, fearful behaviour, just check they're okay and then leave them to it. If they see you getting super stressed and worried and checking in on them every two seconds, they'll go, hey, okay, these loud bangers are happening. I'm worried. And now my owner is acting really strange. So I'm really worried that something's very wrong. Whereas if you can kind of maintain, you know, cool, calm, composure, like you knew, normally would with your pet, you're taking that extra level of stress out of the equation for them. So just, you know, make sure they're safe, give them somewhere to hide, try and mask the noise. If you are really concerned about your pet, this is something that is a recurrent feature for your pet and it really adversely affects them. Have a chat with your vet. There are some anxiety medications that we can prescribe in very special, specific situations for these pets. It's not something I'd recommend for the vast majority of pets in this situation. But if it is something that's really, really worrisome for your pet, chat it through with your vet just to see if there's anything additional that can be done. Okay, uh, pet help please. We have a cockapoo 18 months old and her behaviour has changed for the worst since we got a puppy. We got the puppy to give her some company. The older dog has become very aggressive to us, goes in under the bed once she knows I'm going to cage her if I need to go for a run to the shop. She shows all her pearly teeth and acts as if she's going to pounce on me. I'm actually starting to get afraid of her now. What can I do? I don't show any preference to the new puppy. It's the very same breed. The puppy is uh, five months old and the older dog is spayed. Um, I'm driven demented from her bad behaviour now at this stage. Any advice from Jane, please? Oh, my heart goes out to you. That sounds like a really, really difficult situation. I think it's probably no coincidence that the behaviour started around the time the new puppy was introduced. Now, you know, having a new dog or cat come into the house can can is always kind of going to be a stressful experience for everyone involved, even the humans that have brought it in there and the other existing pets. But normally things mellow after a little while once the pet learns that, you know, nothing bad is going to happen. I'm still here. I still have the love and attention of my owners. But look, 
we all have different personalities and dogs all have different personalities. So we're all going to react in a slightly different way. So I think it sounds like you're taking some good steps and making sure they're both kind of getting equal attention. Um, but it seems to maybe in this particular situation with this particular pest personality have not really cut the mustard and, and they're struggling. It's more than likely the fact that they feel like their doggy resources are challenged. So they will want free access to food, water, somewhere comfy to sleep and snuggles. Okay, so all of a sudden they would have been kind of, let's say, the only child in the situation. And now all of that's being divided. But there are some basic things you can do to maybe make that challenge a little bit easier for them. So I would never try and force the puppy and the dog together to play. Just let them have their own space. The other thing is make sure that they're fed in different rooms and that their water is in different rooms and that they potentially have attention at different times of the day, okay? Make sure that your dog is getting out and about a lot to burn off some energy. So if it's appropriate, take them for nice long walks morning and evening so they feel like they're getting to see the outdoors, getting some fulfillment and getting some one-on-one time with you as well. What I would say is if we've got to the point where there's aggression involved, safety really has to come first there. So, you know, you need to keep, make sure that you're protected and everyone in your family is protected to avoid any, any nasty situations. What I would say is if you're getting to the point at this point where you're a little bit afraid of her um, and the aggression that's happening, that's nothing to be ashamed of. I'd say it's good to say, you know, be able to say that that's occurring. But it's really time, I think, to get a veterinary behaviourist involved now before things get any worse. So what I would do in this situation is I would chat to your vet, actually, and let them know exactly the same concerns you've outlined here. Be very open about it and ask for a referral to a veterinary behaviourist because they'll know who's who's active in the area. There's not that many of, let's say, the, the majorly qualified ones in the country, but they'll be able to, to source somebody for you and hopefully get you a referral because okay. it really is something that might need kind of dealing with from the bottom up. And I, and I don't want to be the bearer of bad news here, but when I read that text coming in, the very same situation happened to a family member of mine. They had a cockapoo, decided to get a puppy because they thought she'd want company. She mm-hmm. never, ever took to the younger dog mm-hmm. for two years they put up with it. They did exactly as he said. They went to mm-hmm. uh, lessons, the whole lot. It just mm-hmm. simply didn't work. And she, the mm-hmm. older dog ended up getting very aggressive towards the younger dog, drew blood, the whole lot. And they ended up having to, sadly, had to rehome the older dog. And funny enough, the older dog, she ended up going to a couple on their own without children. And she's got on fantastic, is still getting on fantastic. Mm-hmm. And there's no signs of aggression. But she's very much a dog that needs to be on her own with all of the mm-hmm. attention. So you do have to bear that in mind. It, it can happen as well. But listen, good luck and hopefully it will work out uh, for you. OK, let's stay on uh, behaviours because Mary says, question for Jane, please. I have a two-year-old Cocker Spaniel Labrador mix. That's quite a big dog, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Very friendly with my family and my grandchildren, but it's with strangers. He has this really, really aggressive bark. One person has suggested that I should use a bark collar, but I don't want to do that because I believe a bark collar hurts would hurt him. Could Jane suggest, is there anything else um, I could do? He doesn't bite anyone. He just barks really aggressively. But I don't know whether he would go on to bite somebody. And that's my real fear. Yeah, a uh, similar situation here. It is really keeping everybody safe first. And it sounds like at the moment it's just barking, but you're really right to think a step ahead. And barking is kind of one step on the ladder of aggression. If, if a dog gets more overstimulated, more anxious, more afraid, that can escalate to showing kind of overt aggression. So a bite. Um, I would say that if your pet is okay with, let's say, people he's familiar with and he's not okay with strangers, part of it might be he's kind of protecting his family. That's one dynamic that can happen. So let's say you're out on a walk and you're walking with family and he's on a lead and then a stranger comes towards you and there's a big woof-woof happens. 
it might be that he thinks that the strangers are a threat to you and his pack, essentially, and he might be trying to protect you. That's one dynamic that can happen. Um, and that's, that's a challenging one to break because, obviously, when we're out in a walk, somebody walks towards us, they'll usually pass us and go on by and he thinks he's done a brilliant job protecting his family. So it's what happens, it happens, it's what happens with the postman, isn't it? They bark, bark, exactly. bark. Exactly. And then the postman exactly. leaves and the dog thinks, haven't I been wonderful? I've chased him away. Absolutely the same dynamic. So it's a very difficult one to break because it's continually reinforced. But there is a possibility it's another dynamic. So it, it could be anxious and fearful. So it could be that the stranger's coming towards him and he doesn't know quite what's going to happen and he's worried for himself. So he's doing a big wolf wolf so he can scare the stranger away. And again, the stranger gets scared away because they generally pass off, same as the postman, and he thinks he's done a good job, so it reinforces it. I think it's a case of maybe sitting down and having to think, well, when does this happen? Does it happen every time he sees a stranger or are there specific times? And from that, you might be able to figure out, well, does he think he's protecting his family, he's protecting his pack, or is he genuinely afraid because it's happening when he's more isolated or in a new place or out of context of where he would normally be? And that can help a little bit. Just make sure everyone's safe. Make sure your dog's on a lead in environments where there's people where you wouldn't know. So there's a potential for aggression. Um, so similar advice to the last time, if it doesn't begin to settle with some gentle reassurance and maybe some dog training, again, behaviourist referral will be the way to go here. These issues can be really, really complex. So they can. They can be very, very challenging to sort. But I think the thing is, if you're picking up on it early, that makes it easier to deal with because all these behaviours don't have years of reinforcement and ingraining into how that dog's brain works. So it is a little bit easier to get to the bottom. But, you know, no dog tends to act out for, for no apparent reason. These dogs don't have an agenda. They don't tend to do these things to be nasty or annoying. It generally is coming from a place of either wanting to fulfil their instincts to protect their pack or fear or yeah. or kind of insecurity. So there's always a reason behind it. Okay, and Maria has an eight-month-old Shih Tzu Maltese puppy, finding it very hard to house train her. She just doesn't seem to be able to hold on to it. If the back door is open, fine. She'll trot outside, do her business. But if the door is closed, she'll do it in the house. Uh, any help, please, would be gratefully appreciated. She also poops in her bed, which I'm told is not common. Yeah, that's not particularly common, I must admit. Normally, they want to kind of keep their den area nice and clean. Um, so I think what I do first and foremost do with the pooping is just make sure you have a really freshly washed bed ready to go every time that does happen so that the sense of it's not there, encouraging her to, to do it again a second time. She might just be a little bit confused and have kind of be smelling the sense and go, oh, that's my toilet, I must do it there again. So rather than just clean away the poop, just make sure you have a totally fresh bed to switch over. So maybe having that might help to break that cycle, and it should do. You know, natural instincts to keep the den clean will kick in. As regards the toilet training, it's good that she's wanting to let herself out to do her own business when the, the door is open. That's great. It means that she has the idea and you're, you're onto, onto a winner there. But I think what's probably happening is she may just be one of those puppies that doesn't have a really obvious signal to you or hasn't found a really obvious signal to you to say, Mum, I want to go outside. I want to do my peas outside. So you need to try and make it easier. So either let her out more often, so open the door and let her out more often so that you're giving her every chance to keep doing it right because the last thing you want is for her to go backwards and start doing the peas inside even when the door is open. But one thing you can do is, I've heard of people that if they um, hang some bells like just above puppy height so that if they're at the door and scuffling around at the door, it almost makes the bell ring slightly and that's almost an alert to you that my dog's hanging around the door, they might want to go out and leave them out. And I think watch them for really, really subtle signs. So if you're noticing your puppy just kind of hanging around or sniffing or circling or just looking a little bit lost, chances are they might want to go to the bathroom to take them outside. So it's probably just that your puppy has the right idea, knows they need to do their business outside, but just hasn't really got the, the communication or signaling with you right down. So just being, being really, really watchful and 
trying to pick on well, what's my puppy's exact signal? And that's going to have to, that's going to mean you're going to just have to be really, really observant if you can, but maybe try the bell trick. It can help a little bit. Okay, and it will come with time. Listen, Jane, pleasure as always. Have a good week and we'll chat next Thursday. You too. Thank Thanks you for that. That is Jane Pickett, the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. Just a quick few questions or a few uh, texts in. Kevin says, Patricia, where were the army yesterday? Well, they were out in force. They were certainly out in Middleton. I don't know if they were in other parts, but they were called in yesterday afternoon to help out uh, with get, rescuing people out of uh, houses and trying to pump water out. Someone else says, Patricia, the fields near the Onakara River, always flooded. But guess what? They've houses built on them now, even as far up as Liscould. I wonder who thought that all these houses on the Mill Road should be built on what was originally a floodplain. Maybe they should think about all the new houses that are going to be built in the Middleton area. Keep them up on heights. I feel so sorry for all of the businesses in what is a great, great uh, town. And then on scams, a listener says, my poor husband came home yesterday dreadfully worried. He got a text message to say our son had lost his phone. We were able to put his mind at rest and tell him that is a uh, scam. And the scam I read and the text message I read out about the Revolut, uh, somebody says, I got two of those messages yesterday from identical wording, except they came from different uh, senders. So there is a lot of scams doing the rounds at the moment. Please be careful. OK, that's where I have to wrap it up for today. My thanks to uh, John Paul McNamara for uh, producing. Nick is with you for the afternoon and thank you with a busy show this morning so thank you to everybody who uh, contributed stay tuned to Nick this afternoon and as always if you have any messages to pass on about flooding or what's going on in your area please feel free to contact Nick until tomorrow morning at 10 I'm Patricia Messenger very good afternoon Court Today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie